Well, good morning to you all, and thank you, Craig and choir and orchestra. It's wonderful, wonderful. We have been gone uh, for three weeks. Um, it was our plan uh, right after I retired from Henderson Hills Baptist Church in Edmond uh, to go to Glacier. I've always wanted to go to Glacier, and we... Uh, bought a new RV, <laughs> which is a story in itself. And uh, we, uh, so it's taken us two years, two and a half years, but we made it. And uh, we drove 4,136 miles to be exact. And uh, it, we saw parts of Canada and Glacier and a lot of uh, states and camped out for 20 days. Marsha and I are still talking, and that's remarkable. Uh, the, the most difficult thing is backing up, backing the RV into place. Um, and there are several um, moves. Marsha was directing, you know, and I was trying to back up. There's several moves. We worked on the moves that, you know, go left, go right. There's several I don't know. I, I don't know this one. I, I got it several times. I don't know this one. But it, it, meant, it meant something. I don't know. But we made it. And we're glad to have gone and really glad to be home where there is no backing up. Uh, anymore. So, uh, we, you've started the book of Acts in my absence, and uh, we are in the 12th verse. I feel a, a bit of duty here to say that last June, the verses that we're covering were all laid out. None of us knew what today would be when the passage was selected. And, and so there's something about the providence of God in this. Because, you see, this passage is about decision-making and the will of God. How can you know the will of God for your life? What should you do? What should you as a church do? What does God want? There is a plethora of such questions that faces on a regular basis, and I think the passage is helpful today to help us understand what to do. Verse number 12, Acts 1. Then they, the they here is the disciples. Then they or the apostles, the disciples became apostles. Here's the remaining 11. Uh, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. The Mount of Olives, or Olivet, is just east of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, it goes the, the mountain or the hill, and then the valley, and then the old city is how that works which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. A Sabbath day's journey was determined uh, as the length of time or, or length of, uh, of space that a person could walk and not violate Sabbath regulations that uh, the day is to be a day of rest. And so that's still observed among 
some Jews today, the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox uh, Jews. And it's about a half a mile or three quarters of a mile. As you visit Israel, you'll see that there are towns, lots of towns that have a wire around the perimeter and that is to show this is the extent of the Sabbath day's journey. Don't go beyond this on the Sabbath day. So uh, that's what they were dealing with here. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. It's the upper room. It's specific, probably because we are familiar with it already, where they were staying. Now, here's the name of the 11 remaining apostles, Peter and John and James, Andrew, then Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus, so there were two Jameses, and uh, Simon the Zealot, Peter's other name is Simon, so there were two of them, and Judas the son of James, there were of course two of them. And so they have all come back. And what we see here in their lives is this is a time of, of dramatic transition. It's a transition because of, well, what was happening. Uh, this is happening in a period of time in which Jesus had uh, risen from the dead and he had taught his disciples and many other people for 40 days. Those 40 days had now come to an end. Jesus has taken his disciples to the top of the Mount of Olives, gave final instructions, and had ascended into heaven from that location, all right? And so that's all ha that has gone on. Now, Jesus is indeed uh, in heaven. The Holy Spirit is in heaven. He has not yet come to indwell people. Certainly the ministry of the Holy Spirit was here, but not in a level of indwelling like he would be. And so this is a unique time in the life of a church, and yet decisions had to be made. So the disciples walked that half an hour, or, or that half mile, maybe three quarters of a mile down the mountain into the city, and they know that they're in this transition time, and uh, that's what, what they are facing. They gathered together in a, a room. It had to be a big room because there was up to 120 people in this room. Uh, so they, they meet in this room. Maybe this is the same room where they celebrated the Passover uh, a few, a couple months earlier. Well, we don't know that. Uh, but uh, what should they do? That was the question in front of them. And by the way, it's the, the question in front of us as well. What should we do? What kind of decision should we make? Should we do this or should we do that and move here or move there? Uh, I mean, uh, have a relationship with uh, this person, work in that place. Uh, there are thousands of decisions that we need uh, to make. And so the question becomes, how do you make those decisions? In a biblical way, how do you make these decisions? You remember in the book of James, in, in the book of James, James says that uh, 
we should recognize that God has a will for our lives. Go into such and such a city and we say we're going to engage in business and uh, make a profit. But James says instead of making those plans, what our plan should be is to recognize that God has a will and to desire that will. And so uh, that's the situation. How are they going to approach decision-making, and what can we learn from them when we make decisions? As you know, you're, you're really in a unique position as a church family in that uh, it's going to be time to make a decision related to who will be your next uh, senior leader uh, of uh, elders and uh, teaching pastor in your church. Who will that be? How would you know? Well, the issue here is uh, the same thing. How do you make decisions during times of major transition? Well, the first thing that they did is that they prayed. We should, we should do that. We need to pray before we make decisions because we want to honor God. We want to glorify him in what we do. And it says in verse number 14, all these were uh, with one accord. That would mean all of the people there in that upper room and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. Which women are we talking about? Uh, and... Mary, the mother of Jesus, this is the last time she's mentioned in the New Testament, and his brothers. The word that's used here, Adelphoi, can be, in this case, it can be male or female, brothers and sisters, or just brothers. Now, I think that a lot of people don't realize that Jesus had a nuclear family, that there was Mary, his mother, there was Joseph, his stepfather, although he kind of leaves the scene and we don't know when he passed um, or what happened to him. He had brothers, he had sisters. Matthew 11, or excuse me, Matthew 13, 55 says, is, this is the, the people of, of uh, Nazareth, uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. We have the four names. And are not all his sisters with us? The way that's written, all of his sisters, gives us the idea that there's at least three. I mean, he didn't say his sister or both of his sisters. He said all of them. So there are at least three of them. And so the, he, this is this nuclear family. And the, they are there in that upper room. Now, in Acts 1.15, it goes on to say, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So, big gathering in this upper room. And said, Brothers, the scripture has been fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. I, I, I hope you appreciate what's really going on here, what he's doing, uh, who became a guide to those who were arrested. 
for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. So uh, what's being said here is that Peter is saying it's time to replace Judas. Judas who has gone out and uh, committed suicide. And so he's gone and now there is 11. Peter believes that there should be 12. How did he know that? How did he know that was the will of God? Verse 18, it says, now this man acquired a field, speaking of Judas, with the reward of his wickedness, those 30 pieces of silver. And falling headlong, he burst open into the middle in the middle and his bowels gushed out. I'm sorry, uh, but I'm just reporting, all right? I'm not coming up with this. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own lang- language, Akla Dama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. I think this is the the really important statement here. It is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp be desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his place. All right, how did Peter, how did Peter know that it was the will of God to replace Judas? He knew it because he read the Bible. The Bible told him the will of God. That's how he knew. Uh, uh, I would apply it like this today. Should you be baptized? Well, it is God's will for you to be baptized. How do I know that? It's because the Bible very clearly teaches that. Should you join the church? Well, yes, you should join the church. How do I know it? It's clearly the teaching of the New Testament that you should. Many of the things in our lives are covered directly by statements in the Bible, and we can know that they are God's will because the Bible is God speaking to us. So how did Peter and the early uh, apostles and others, how how did they know the will of God? They approached it like this. We will pray for the will of God to be done, and we will read the scripture to know what the will of God is. How should you approach decision-making and the will of God? By prayer and by reading your Bible. This is one of the reasons why you need to be a student of the Bible. You see, because... Uh, it does contain the words of God speaking to us. So, uh, now, let's look at the goal, the goal that we should have in transitions. The goal that in transitions that we should have is God's will. That's what we know. We want to discover God's will. Um, here's an interesting aspect of all of this. God does have a will for our lives and for what happens. But frequently our will and our values are not the same as God's. Uh, For example, let's take the circumstance that you as church are are going through uh, right now. It doesn't really matter if we 
like the way he looks or if we like the way he preaches. Uh, uh, we shouldn't demand that, uh, that he's pretty and elegant, you know? Uh, I, I meant, didn't mean elegant, I meant eloquent. Uh, <laughs> now, awesome, the, the irony there, well, anyway. Uh, we shouldn't demand those things. What we should demand is that God's will is accomplished. How would we know that? We would pray and we would read scripture. We would find the, uh, the qualifications of that elder and we should approach it that way. You see, the apostles believed that God does have a will. And... They believed that God not only has a will, but he's specific and that it is best for us. They believed that. In other words, they believed that God cares what's going on. In this case, it was for the church universal, and for us, it would be the church local, but whatever it is, that God does care, that he has a will, that it's specific, and that it's best. Now, how would they seek to know God's will? Well, through prayer, through reading scripture, and then they're gonna use another method. Uh, verse 21. So, one of the men who have accomplished, uh, this is Peter speaking about who they should select, okay? Uh, and it says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us from the time Jesus came into our lives until he went to heaven, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become, uh, become with us a witness to his resurrection. So what do we have here? We have uh, the answer to the question of who should become the next elder to some degree. In that, he witnessed the ministry, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, there are people today who refer to themselves as the apostles. Uh, they are not apostles unless they were there with Jesus for his ministry, and unless they had met with the resurrected Jesus personally. In other words, there are no modern-day apostles, but this is the kind of person that they should want. In verse number 23, they put forward two. Uh, the first man, Joseph, has three uh, names. I don't know why, maybe he was running from the law. I, I don't know, I, I don't think that that was true. Joseph called Bersabbath, who's also called Justice. I imagine it got confusing. And Matthias. They were both good men. They had been faithful. They had been there to witness the life of Jesus. They were there and saw the resurrection of Jesus. The issue isn't whether they were good men. None of them, neither of them was perfect because nobody is perfect. We should not expect that from 
for example, a pastor. Nobody is perfect other than Jesus. And so the issue wasn't that they had to be perfect. Uh, the, the issue was, what's God's will? Uh, in other words, they didn't have to look for how he dressed, how he spoke, uh, you know, whether they liked his personality or not. They're seeking for one thing, and that is to know the will of God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this passage was selected in June. Who would have known that in June, you as a church would be going through this very kind of thing here in the month of August. Well, God knew. None of us knew, but God did. God has a will concerning your next pastor. Uh, what's God's will? God's will is that he is biblically qualified. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. That's the thing that you need to care the most about. And that he is obviously God's choice. Obviously God's choice because of several things. Number one is that you as a church have approved the bylaws that you're following now. And that in those bylaws, you needed to approve a search team. And you did. And approve the elders which you did. And, and so what's happening here is the presentation that will be made today is by those very people that you have affirmed to seek the will of God on your behalf and present the person to you. I, I don't know if that gives you confidence, but it would certainly give me confidence in that setting. So God has a will. He's got to be qualified. Most importantly, he's got to be God's choice. Now, if you would, verse number 24. Uh, and, and by the way, nobody's asked me to preach any of this today. N nobody. I've not consulted with anybody about their candidate uh, or about, uh, I know who it is, but I, I've not consulted with them uh, about the individual. Uh, I've and they've not asked, said, would you go up and say this, okay? So I, I just want you to, to be aware of that. Verse number 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have in common. So they're back to praying. Uh, to take the place of the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthew, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right. So in addition to reading scripture, in addition to praying, they also cast lots as a method of understanding the sovereign will of God in this. What is it cast lots? Uh, I'm not sure what it means. Uh, I don't know exactly how they went about it. I, I don't think anybody knows that today. But we do know this was a way in which they used circumstances to pinpoint 
the thing that they were praying for, God's will to be done. Now, should you use this method in your daily life or as a church? Well, what you need to know is that this is a holdover from the Old Testament. And you need to remember that the book of Acts is a transition book. It's moving from the age of the law, the Old Testament, to the age of grace, which is going to happen in the next chapter of Acts. Uh, it's, it's a time of transition, and this transition means it's not going to be exactly that way when the New Testament of church is established. This is transition for it. The Holy Spirit has not yet come, so they can't depend on him. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the, this is a transitional book, and we need to understand that this is a, uh, it's a, a holdover, as I've said before. And uh, I might also mention, this is the last use of the casting of lots in the Bible, in the New Testament. So is it for us? No, it's not for us. You shouldn't be casting dice, and if it comes up seven, you'll do this or that. All right, that's, that's really not how we ascertain the will of God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and apply the passage that we have uh, and shorten the message so that you can spend the time that you need uh, uh, to hear from your search team and your elders. How do we apply this? Number one, you must understand that God does have a specific will. He has a specific will for your life. He has a specific will for this church. Uh, we could divide that will of God into three categories. Uh, what are those three categories? First of all, uh, the sovereign will of God. This is what's going to happen regardless of what you say or do. It's God bringing his plan to fruition. Much of that is is not known to us, it's secret to us. For example, we know it's the sovereign will of God for Jesus to come back. When is he gonna come back? We don't know that, we're not told that. And that's just one small example of the sovereign will of God, it's going to happen. And then there is the biblical will of God. And this is what scripture says is to be God's will. Should you be baptized? Yes, you should be baptized. How do I know that? Well, I know that because uh, of the Great Commission and the Ethiopian eunuch and the Corinthian uh, jailer and we could go on and on and on. We know that to be true. So we look at scripture, we read scripture. How does this apply to the circumstance that we're in? Uh, and then finally, the personal will of God. The, uh, the Bible says uh, that we are to have elders, but it doesn't say how we're to find them. It doesn't say what they are to do specifically. And so there's much here that we don't know. And how then in this personal will of God, how it applies directly to your life, uh, how is it that you should find that aspect of the will of God? Well, the scripture says that 
whatever God's will is, it's going to agree with what God says in the Bible. God's not going to say some special message to you that it contradicts the general message that he has given us in Scripture. He will not do that. Uh, Next, uh, we should seek the counsel of other godly Christians. And as they pray, as they read the Bible, how do they see this decision going forward? And we should be centering our lives on Jesus, not the decision that we make. Psalm 37 says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Not meaning that, that he's going to give us whatever we want, but instead it means he's going to give us whatever we want. Uh, in other words, that he's going to change our wanter to want what he wants as we are delighting ourselves in the Lord. Uh, specific application, if you have not yet received Christ, but you know that you've sinned, you rebelled against God, you want to be right with God, you want this taken care of, that all indicates that God is at work in this. And it is time for you to receive Christ as an individual by faith. And there the staff here, elders here, would be, I would be happy to tell you uh, more about that. You should be baptized. How do we know that? The scripture says so. You should join the church. How do we know that? Because the scripture says so. You should stay in your marriage. How do we know that? Because the scripture says so. You see, God does have a specific will for your life. And as a church now, you don't traffic in a kind of a loose and light way in this. D- don't, don't run based upon your personal opinions, desires, and uh, prejudices. Don't do that. But instead, seek God's will. You've called people to search. They're going to present uh, their candidate. Seek God's will now as you seek to confirm what God wants. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the things that you have done, the things that you have given to us. I find it comforting, Father, to know that you have a specific will for our individual circumstances and for the life of this church. We pray, Father, that there might be such a spirit of surrender and love that you can speak clearly in this uh, process and Lord, that your will will be done in Jesus' name, amen.